Well, open your Bibles once again to Mark chapter 6. It's a joy to be able to be with you. I was thinking this morning about you know, yesterday and thinking about um, preaching. I've never preached to a crowd that size, and yet it is way more precious to preach to you all. Uh, really, it's a wonderful thing to be with the body of Christ that God has given to me and to all of us together. Before we begin our message this morning, entitled Call to Mission, I want us to think about uh, something the Lord is doing in our midst. We have uh, been praying as a church that God might use us and use us in a way to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we pray, as we did already this morning, we pray for our local community. And we pray for our state and we pray for our nation and we pray for the world around us. And we don't, we don't just pray because we pray because we want to be involved with the gospel going forth to save. And we not only pray, we support. And so we support young men like Evan and Andrew and Ed Underwood and Daryl Hutto missionaries and we support people with our prayer and support as we sent people even from this church on short-term missions trips but the Lord has also seen fit to potentially call a family from this church to full-time Christian mission we have prayed for some months that God would give Mark and Sharon Welch a job uh, an increased amount of work for them and he has seen fit to potentially move in that way but not in the way that we expected we were looking for increase in customers to his bookkeeping business. But God has brought an opportunity through the ministry of Ed Underwood that Mark and Sharon would become the chief financial officer for that ministry. Ed is based mainly out of Ireland. And this would not mean that Mark and Sharon would move to Ireland, thank the Lord. But that will uh, potentially mean that they may move to a more central location of the United States, maybe back toward Hattiesburg, if the Lord directs that. They're involved at the moment with going through the application process. I'm involved with them to encourage them and walk with them. We're testing in a way and affirming that call that has been inward and now has come externally through Ed's work. But I would encourage you to rally around them, to encourage them, to pray for them, to walk them through this process as they seek to know God's will in regards to full-time Christian service. It isn't necessarily, you know, on the front lines uh, preaching to an unreached people group, but Ed's ministry is so unique. It is something that uh, they will be very involved with and will increase even the attack upon their enemy because of their work of the gospel. So we will keep you updated. We would desire to be their sending church we desire to be able to send them forth. And so uh, we'll keep you updated on that. But rally around them, ask them questions, find out how we can support and pray for them. Now this goes well, that announcement goes well with Mark 6, Mark 6, 7 through 13. I would call your attention to the text on page 841 in your pew Bible if you need that. And let me read for us once again and let me pray once again for our time. Please stand to read, honor the reading of God's word. <clears throat> and he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. And he, he charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, 
no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. And so they went out and proclaimed that many people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil, many who were sick and healed them. Father, as Christopher Wells said, we are coming to your word now expectantly. So speak to us, Father. Use me. I am but a feeble vessel, and yet would you use me that this word might strengthen our hearts this morning. Draw us to yourself, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, if you remember two weeks ago when we were Mark 6, 1 through 6, we noted the context of that passage as is the context of this passage was unbelief. And in many ways, now Christ sending out the twelve into the ministry in the midst of unbelief. And I would imagine that the twelve apostles had sort of settled in to just observing the ministry of Jesus. Here he was preaching, he was healing, he was doing these different works, and they had been sort of sitting on the bench, as it were, bench warmers in the game, as it were, just observing what was happening. And yes, they were involved, they were praying, they were assisting, they were walking, but they really weren't hands-on yet. And here in this passage today, they're not just called off the bench, they're called into the fray, straight into the battle for the souls of men and women. I want to let us know that this passage is descriptive, not prescriptive. So if we go to our Bibles and we read every passage as describing exactly, prescribing, excuse me, exactly what we should do, we may all end up selling everything we own, picking up white robes and staffs and taking off our Nikes and putting on tire sandals and reliving the 60s. And that's not what this passage is about. This is a descriptive passage. It describes for us principles of ministering in the context of unbelief. So there's much for us. But don't worry, you won't have to sell your vehicle necessarily or sell your worldly goods necessarily. But it is the the principles that we will see this morning. Let's look at this first part of the passage, verse 7. The point I would like to make is that we are called by the authority of Christ. We are called by the authority of Christ. This is the third call that Christ has given to the apostles. The first was all the way back in chapter 1, where he called them, in essence, to salvation. Follow me. And they followed him. And then in Mark 3, Christ called them to himself as the 12 apostles, called them to training. If you remember back in 3, verse 14, and he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. And here in Mark 6, he calls them to service. The training is over in many ways, and it's time to step into the battle. And the disciples, by God's grace, or the apostles, as mentioned here, are not going on their own accord. They're going by the authority of Christ. Their authority over unclean spirits and healing others and casting out demons in verse 13 and most of all calling calling others to repent in verse 12 
was not their own, but the authority of Christ. In many ways, in that day, it was seen that the messenger was just an extension of the one who sent them. And just as their authority was not their own, their message was not theirs as well. It wasn't their message they were proclaiming, it was the message of Christ. The message of Christ is central to his ministry, the message of repent and believe. And so the message of the gospel is to be central to our ministry. (coughs) Excuse me. Second Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. The disciples were were merely ambassadors for the Messiah. And an ambassador to a foreign nation is one that has no power in his own right. The message is his, is, is not his at all. He's simply a representative of the nation that sent him. The sending nation has the power. The sending nation has the power. The ambassador merely represents that power. And the commission uh, for the mission comes through the authority of Christ. The authority of Christ is what, is what makes these men something. You, you might think forward to Acts chapter 4. We looked at that on Wednesday night. Here were just simply uneducated common men, fishermen most for the most part. I mean, they were just common to that day, tax collectors, different things that they did. And we noted that in many ways, we're just common people. But what makes us something is not who we are, but Christ in us. The authority that we gain for this mission is what makes us equipped for the mission. So we oftentimes think, well, I can't do this part of the mission to proclaim the gospel because maybe my personality, I'm not an extrovert. I'm more of an introvert. Maybe I don't know all of the, the wordage or the vocabulary that I might need. That's not what makes you equipped for the work. Now that can help you, but it's the authority of Christ in you is that which makes us ready and equipped for the mission. And so in like manner, we are ambassadors for Christ. We represent our King Jesus. And so everywhere, wherever we go, whether it's to the grocery store this week or to the gym or, or to the office or to the wherever it would be, we're, we're representing a kingdom that is not an earthly kingdom. We're representing a, a heavenly kingdom, a kingdom that has no end, a kingdom that is just and perfect, a king even, that is altogether lovely and full of grace and at the same time holy and righteous and the judge of all creation. That is the kingdom that we are ambassadors for. And there is no place, there's no place, whether in the quiet of your own room where nobody else can see you or in the 
most public place ever, that you're not an ambassador. If you were sent this morning all the way to Ethiopia to be the ambassador from the United States of America America to Ethiopia, there is no place in Ethiopia where you're not an ambassador. And in like way, there is no place for us as believers in Jesus Christ where we're not an ambassador, where we're not supposed to be representing the kingdom that is the heavenly kingdom that we are now a part of by his grace. But notice that Christ, when he calls the 12 apostles, by the wisdom of our Lord, he sends them out two by two. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. That, that third person in the, with, the, with the two is Christ. In Numbers 35 and Deuteronomy 17 and Deuteronomy 19, two witnesses in the day, in the Jewish day, would, would have been the legal requirement for an authentic testimony. But more so than an authentic testimony, ministering together is wise. To have someone that can pray with you and for you, to have someone that can even physically be where, there with you on the mission is a wise, encouraging, and even protective measure. Someone who can come alongside and lift you up when you need them and, and you be able to lift them up when they need you. We have been praying and, and talking about encouraging one another in our first light hour to be about the, the business of discipleship. And here's a wonderful example of not only encouraging one another in the word, but even then laboring together in the word for the Lord. So we're called by Christ to be on mission and for the believer, this, this mission isn't simply some job we do and then we go home and, and we take sort of a rest from our Christian life. The mission to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ is, is 24-7, 365. It's a lifestyle. And certainly, here in the context of this passage, this is a specific mission apart from just the daily life that we're called to represent Christ. And so we, we represent we certainly take time, excuse me, to, to send people on full-time mission work, like Evan or Ed Underwood. Or we take time to, at times, send people on short-term mission works. Certainly there is a place for that. But, but the failure, oftentimes, of those short-term mission works, or even the long-term mission works, is that they forget, those people forget, that the mission is less where they are going or serving and more about the mes- message they are communicating and the ministering minister that they are modeling. They forget, I'm supposed to be modeling Christ. We find encouragement here in the example of Christ. Galilee his home region already has rejected him a couple of times. And yet Christ has not abandoned them. This sending of the 12 apostles is the third preaching tour of the Galilean villages. And in many ways, it's the biggest one because he, he sends out his, his apostles. He exponentially grows the proclaiming of the good news. So let's, let us not grow weary in proclaiming the truth to those in our area that we have ministered to and may have been rejected by. Let's keep ministering to them. 
shining the light of Christ into their hearts and trust the Holy Spirit to do the work of saving grace. Point one is we are called by the authority of Christ. Point number two is the method should accompany the message. The method should accompany the message. You'll notice this in verse 8 through 11. The message is, prior, is primary. Repent and believe in Christ. That's the message of Christ. That is primary. But Christ does not simply stop there. He's interested in the method of how that is proclaimed as well. And so he gives them some specific instructions on how they are to go about ministering. Let's look there at verse 8. Look at the text. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And any place will not receive you, and they will not listen to you. When you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. Though I, I believe this passage is prescriptive, specifically for the apostles, as I said in the, the, the introduction there, we don't necessarily have to get rid of our cross trainers for a pair of sandals or, or trade in our pair of jeans for a robe or give away all our food and money. There are principles here that apply to our ministry today as well. And God is very interested in the method behind the message because in many ways, the medium is the message. Now, certainly the gospel is the message, but how we portray that gospel and how we proclaim that gospel serves to either edify it as much as we can in an earthly way or diminish it. And so we cannot play flippantly with the message of the gospel. In like manner, to, to use trivial and trite and, and, and funny, uh, clowny ways even to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ is to make the message trivial and trite and funny and clowny, and it's not. It's a message of, of grace and power, but of life and death. I remember growing up, um, I was probably 16, 17, 18 years old. We were at a church in Dallas, Texas. We weren't there for very long, by God's grace. And one of the things that they did is they had all the men meet together. Well, that's good. But what they would do is they would meet together and watch R-rated movies in order to analyze them from the perspective of the Christian worldview. No. No. You're watering down the message of the gospel. In fact, you're putting sin in front of people. We cannot mess with the message of the gospel and we need to be very careful about the method of the gospel. And so we want to go to Scripture and see it as prescriptive for us. So that's why here in this service, we're not doing anything really that fancy. We're singing, we're praying, and we're preaching. That which we see in Scripture. And I see in this passage, I think there are at least four, probably more, but at least four traits that we see in this passage. We're going to mention, we'll mention three of them, three traits in this passage this morning for the sake of time that should color the method of proclaiming the gospel. And you might note these in your notes. Number one, dependence on God. Dependence on God. They're, they're told to take nothing for their journey except a staff, something to lean on and help them in their task. But they're not to take bread, not to take a bag, not money, 
not belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. The passage accompanying in Matthew and Luke says not to take sandals. And I think the point is don't take a second pair. Take one pair of sandals, all that you need. Don't put on two tunics or an undergarment. Otherwise, for us, we can say, Christ was telling them, travel light. Travel light. Don't be weighed down by the world's stuff. Let the world see that your dependence is on God alone. He's the source of your strength and of your hope and your peace. Those three things, strength, hope, and peace, are so oftentimes what we look for in the stuff of this world. And I don't... don't, The message this morning isn't about on the consumerism of America, but it totally applies here. We just just hoard things so often. And if Christ was to call us to pick up and to go, it would be so difficult for so many people in churches today. It would be so difficult to wade through. Alistair Begg has said, you know, it might take you three days just to get through your garage, much less get your car in there to sell all that and get rid of it, to go and serve where Christ has called you. This world is not our home. And so we're not to be about accumulating this stuff. Now, that doesn't mean that we can enjoy it. In fact, he actually tells the disciples at a later time that we, are, we can and we delight in the gifts of these things in this world. In fact, I think Christians can enjoy the stuff of this world like nobody else can. We can enjoy art and we can enjoy music and we can enjoy clothes and and just the beauty of the way things are designed around us like nobody else can because we see it as a reflection of God, our creator. And yet that's not to be what is, is our delight. Dependence on God should be what is modeled to the world around us. Second of all, that comfort is a grace, not a need. Comfort is a grace, not a need. You see that verse 10. He said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And what does he mean? Well, what he means is, as you go out, speaking to the apostles, there's going to be people that are going to be hospitable to you and draw them into your home. They're going to draw you into their home. But as you're sitting in their home, you're not thinking, you know, no air conditioning. You know, I, I prefer the mint on my pillow. And so, you know, so-and-so has offered to me a better place. I'm, thank you for your hospitality, but their hospitality is better. I'm going to go be with them. Because that's not the point, is it? That's what he's saying. he's saying. He's saying, where you go, when they invite you in, enjoy the hospitality, but you're not there for a vacation. You're there on mission to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. It's a grace, not a need. And for us today, we, we want to be people that are hospitable and draw people into our home. And when we go into people's homes, even then, we're, sometimes we can be kind of thinking, well, you know, hey, I could probably minister better if it wasn't so uncomfortable. I'm as guilty of this. I mean, the guys in here laugh at me all the time. My version of camping is the difficulty between 71 degrees or 72 degrees and nothing else in the middle. Honey, it's the, the, the water in the shower is a little hot. I might have to cool it. That's my version of camping. I don't like necessarily rough. I did rough for years. So I so enjoyed two weeks ago going to the family camp there where the Ungers work. It was wonderful. It was my version of camping. 
And so, and so I, you know, I have to battle this. I have, to, I have to even battle this sitting on stage at time, thinking, boy, if the air conditioner could just be right and everything would just be perfect. That's what he's saying. No, 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 no. These are, these are but trivial matters. They're a grace. They're not a need. The main thing is the gospel of Jesus Christ and that it goes out. That's the main thing. And so let's have people into our homes and, okay, maybe it's not as well organized as we want. It's, it's okay. It's okay. Let it be the ministry of the gospel that is the, that is the main thing here. These, these men weren't sent out on a vacation. And you can take a vacation and turn it into a mission, but you can't turn a mission into a vacation. And that's what he's trying to tell them here. And for us as well, here's an example of the call to us to support those in full-time gospel ministry. He's sending out the apostles saying, you don't need anything because we are expecting that those who know Christ will receive you and support you. And so that's why we send full-time missionaries. And that's why we support people that go on short-term mission trips. And that's why you pay me as your pastor because you're modeling this for the body of Christ. And you're modeling this for the unbelievers to say, we are engaged in the gospel and we believe it's so important. We want to support those who are called to full-time service. So continue to do that. It's a wonderful grace and ministry to those of us who are called to full-time. And in many ways, you're joining in that full-time work with us. The third thing, third thing we want to note there is in verse 11. Intentionality should be our demeanor. Point number one in this, this section was dependence on God should be that which is modeled to the world. Comfort is a grace, not a need. And finally, intentionality should be our demeanor. And if any place will not receive you, and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust of your feet, dust that is on your feet, as a testimony against them. As a testimony that is against them. And that day, a pious Jew might travel from maybe Jerusalem or the, the Holy Land or God's, the, the land that God had given, the, the land of the promised land. He might travel over maybe to Samaria or to a, a neighboring nation that was a pagan nation. And sort of in a semblance way, as he crossed the line, the boundary line between the two nations, they would stop and, and shake the dust out of their sandals and they would shake the dust off their coat. Sort of as a semblance of saying, I'm leaving all that behind. That, that is not who I am. I, I don't want any of the filth of sin and nastiness. I serve God. And so here, he's telling the apostles in a symbolic way, as a way to help the people that are rejecting you understand that you are intentional about this, that this is important, this message of the gospel. If they will not listen, shake, thing, shake off that dust. Let them see that this is very important to you and that you are identifying that they have rejected Jesus Christ. And the world around us should see that we are intentional. That this, that this gospel is, is life or death. In a way, we should be able to go to a person and say, you're, you're rejecting the gospel. And let them know that this is, this is wrong. Please, plead with them to accept Christ. Finally, Last point of the message, 
those being subpoints, this last point found in 12 and 13, God blesses his message done his way. We're called to the mission by the authority of Christ. The method should accompany the message. And finally, God blesses his message done his way. You know this in 12 and 13. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. They called all people to repent. That is our message still, to call people to repent of their sin and trust Christ alone for the salvation of their sin. And in response to that trust, to repent of their sin, to turn from their sin, to leave it behind and realize that in their sin, they are dead. They are dark. And they need the light of Christ. Why would he say to to proclaim the gospel here? Why would he tell them to preach? It's because it's through the mind that God often works. To preach, to speak in a way, to engage the mind, to help people think. Yesterday when... Uh, I preached the gospel message to all those people that were there for Jenica's funeral. Many did not know the Lord and many even were upset visibly. But the, the, there was a, a young lady there, a, a godly young lady who encouraged me by saying, you got a response. If you were a believer, you loved the message. And if you were unbeliever, you hated the message. And yet you had to come face to face with the message and respond to it. It engages the mind. What people need more than anything else is Jesus. And the greatest problem that you're going to face this week or anybody else is going to face this week is nothing compared to the eternal problem that has already been solved for you that know Christ by Christ. That being that in your sin you are alienated from God. But thanks be to God. Thanks be to Christ who in our place while we were yet sinners died for us that we may have life and life everlasting. And our hope for this week is firm in that the death was conquered by his resurrection. But if you do not know Christ, your greatest problem is not money, it's not health, it's not a job, it's not relationships. Your greatest problem is that you are alienated. You are separated from the almighty righteous God who is angry with sin. And yet God confronted that sin through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if you will but respond and come to him, declaring your need for him, asking him to save you, he is mighty to save and he will save you. Notice that the apostles were also called to minister to the physical needs of the people. They casted out demons and they healed the the sick. The authority of Christ through them doing that work. And it stands as a clear reminder for us that the call to mission is a call to not only proclaim but to care for people. That's what we're doing. We're caring for people. Ministering to their souls primarily, but not neglecting to minister to their needs as well as a means of grace and as a reminder that the gospel of Jesus Christ affects not only the person, but it affects the package as well. Not that we are guaranteeing, we should never guarantee healing 
for the Christian. But we are guaranteed a different outlook on our sickness and pain. We no longer see that sickness and pain as an impediment to enjoying this life now, but rather as a training tool for, for holiness for eternity, which is our greatest enjoyment. And, and the call to help the sick reminds us that the gospel is for the sick, the sick spiritually. So here the apostles are ministering to the sick physically as a physical representation of the need for the gospel for the sick spiritually. You notice he sent out the 12. I want to make this note in, in closing. He sends out the 12. And you remember all the way back in the New Testament, the 12 tribes. And the 12 tribes split. And part of the coming of Christ is the reuniting. We see that in Ephesians 1.10, that he's going to unite all things to himself. And here the 12 are sent out as a representation, as a, as a foreshadowing of the church. He's going to send out the church to proclaim the good news and in that proclamation, uniting all people, all, all people to himself, tongue, tribe, and nation. John 14, 12, we're told, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do. The, the fruit of that mission of the 12 apostles is is the, really the fruit of this church and other churches. That God is going to use those who believe in him to do greater works. And let's not misunderstand John. He's not advocating for our ability to do greater things than Jesus. Certainly not. But the fact that the works that we do in the name of Jesus, considering anything that is done through us, coming, that comes from this frail and weak body prone to sin and disobedience is, is an absolute miracle. That God would choose to use us is a great work of amazing grace. So let's, let us be about the, the business, the mission of the gospel this week. Let's depend upon God. Let the world see that we're depending upon God, that we're committed to the work no matter what the cost, that we're intentionally proclaiming the truth to those around us and the reality of a life without Christ and the blessing of a life with Christ. Father, we thank you for your word this morning that instructs us and encourages us that models for us and equips us. And we would pray and ask, Father, that you might use this word. Use this word to not only draw us in close representation of your son, but use this word in that drawing to, to change people. That as we model dependency on Christ, Christ alone, model dependency upon God for our strength, for our help, for our comfort, that the world might see, the world might know that that is only found through Christ. And let us be bold, Father. Let us, let us not take the gospel and think that somehow we can proclaim it just by mere actions. Because it's news, and news can only be proclaimed through words. And so let us 
love and encourage and strengthen and assist and help one another, but let us not neglect to speak the good news to those that are around us this week. Our children, our husband, our wife, the grocery store clerk, whoever it may be that you bring in our path. Let us be well prepared to speak the good news. We thank you for this passage this morning that has prepared us well. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen.